Hello, everybody. Welcome to Hustle Corner. We're just taking a little spotlight today to honor some one-on-one time and have some innovative creative juices flowing with one of our great guests. She has the honor of not only being the first guest of Educate Hustle, but also being the first guest of Hustle Corner. Of course, I'm talking about the lovely, the incredible author of the Speeches series with her latest book, Diversion, recently coming out. I bring to you again for an encore presentation, the great Robin Bergstresser. Well, Emilio, can you introduce me every room I walk into? <laughs> you know, we, we, we can arrange. I think there's an app for that. <laughs> yeah, I feel really good right now. <laughs> well, that's the whole point. You know, we, we it, a lot of it really comes from you coming on the first episode of Educate Us Soul. The No Excuses mantra has become a very, a very mainstream thing. And just to have you back and get that energy and it's been amazing. Of course, you know, the surreal moment is Educate Us Soul was around two years ago and that two years ago, your first book speeches just came out, and now here we are, fast forward in 2018, and you've delivered the second one, and I know there's a lot of mixed emotions, so today <laughs> we're kind of going to dive into it, go into a little bit of the, the goodness of the book, and kind of explore some themes that I definitely picked up on while reading, and definitely kind of showcase the items, like if they haven't read this book yet, why they need to go out and buy it on what you're really exploring and trying to say with these stories. Yeah, and this is, of course, a quick spoiler warning. We won't dive in too much, but if you haven't read anything, be prepared to have some stuff out there. Oh, yeah, of course, of course, of course. But, you know, that's because we want to get some good conversation, Dala, because with exactly. this book, you know, I think there's some good conversation that needs to be had because some of the conventions that you utilize are what you normally see in media that is often brought to the forefront. But let's not let's not dwell too much on the, the, the reason why we're here. Let's just kind of dive right into the meat. So I guess the first question I want to ask is, what was the biggest difference from writing speeches to writing diversion? Uh, well, I mean, the biggest part was when I started writing speeches, it was a little bit off of a whim. You know, I had absolutely no expectations, just a general, hey, what if I actually wrote this story and started, you know, sitting down and getting it out there? And so then, you know, of course, I got that out there. People were reading it and started immediately asking for book two. So then when I was writing Dispersion, it was a lot more of, you know, I knew from the very beginning that every word that I eventually would get out there, people would be reading. So it was, it was a lot scarier. <laughs> yeah, I, I could imagine like that's must be something to where you have this first book that you didn't have like high expectations about. It's just kind of saying, you know, I did this. It's out there. And then you realize people like it, like they really like it and they're looking for the sequel. I know me, after I read Speeches, it was on my radar. I was like, okay, what's, what's the second book going to do? Because I feel like Speeches ended in such a jarring way that you want to be like, okay, what happens next? Like, where are these characters going to go from here? And I did feel like, you know, in the early moments of dispersion, you're really trying, you're really figuring out, okay, the aftermath of not only Speeches, but how are they going to continue on and move forward? Yeah, and I didn't go full George R.R. Martin, but I did make y'all wait a couple of years before getting back to the story. <laughs> well, I think the, the considerate thing about you is you, it actually came out. You know, there's no <laughs> myths, there's no uh, no signing of or conspiracy theories. Like you actually have a tangible sequel out there. So I guess leading off that reference, you know, in speeches, the body count was really high. There was a <laughs> lot of death in there. Like I know for me, uh, reading the first time. Uh, the first time novel for about an offer, like, you don't really see that high death toll. And we talked about it in the first interview, but I kind of want to ask, you know, obviously in this version, you kind of reel it back a little. There's not as much death, but there's a lot of exploring personal themes and growth. 
So I kind of want to know, was it a conscious decision to kind of explore those themes or did the story just kind of come like that when you were making it? Well, it just seemed like a pretty organic way for the story to go. You know, in Specious, society is completely established and then the infection comes and everything is just torn away, right? And so there's a lot of chaos. People don't understand what's going on. So it makes sense. A lot of people are dying. Um, And then by the time you get to dispersion, you know, at a certain point, they're literally like physically separated a lot farther from, you know, the Leedum and all the creatures. And so it was a good opportunity to spend some time really developing and exploring the characters. But don't worry, in book three, I promise your bloodlust will be curbed. I, I didn't have any bloodlust. It was a nice suppression. <laughs> I felt like the book one, there was a lot of bloodlust, so it, it, it satisfied me. But, you know, <laughs> to, to keep on the theme of, of this, this death aversion, you know, Dispersion opens up with a unique concept in that you brought a character back from the undead. How is it writing a character where the character already knows, like, they've met their faith, but they're able to have just a few more precious times with their loved ones? Yeah, and so from the very beginning, I always knew that Matt was going to come back, and I knew he was, you know, only going to come back for a very short amount of time. And so it was an interesting dynamic to be able to write because, you know, Matt's completely accepted it. In fact, even in Specious, he knew what was going on when nobody else would admit or acknowledge that it could be. But then you have, you know, Alice in there who is refusing to believe and just trying to look for any hope. Um, And so then, you know, I think it introduces a really important theme that starts to continue out the rest of the book and the series is, you know, is doing that right thing, is it worth it? Was going back and doing everything to try and get Matt back for just a short amount of time, you know, was the price that they paid worth that? And so, you know, knowing the consequences, would Elliot put everyone through that again? And I think that by bringing Matt back and having him go and Elliot struggle with, the idea of what he did for that to happen, you know, you start to have Elliot understand Dominic's viewpoint at least a little bit and how he kind of views the world and more of, I'll stop right there. But <laughs> I think that's the start of the dynamic to shift a little bit. Yeah. And I think that's a very lasting question. I guess I, I didn't pick up on it until you said it was a worth it. And I, I feel like in a way it, it wasn't worth it, but I also feel like, you know, maybe it's the optimist, but of course, like, these events have to happen in order for you to become the person that you're meant to become. And it's one of those things where I'm sure by the end of the book, too, most readers will see that Elliot takes this dramatic leap forward in his growth and his acceptance. And he really downplays being less of, you know, I don't know if I can do this. I need to rely on strong people to become the strong person himself. And you could say, arguably, that the reason, you know, he's able to do is because of the events that did happen in speeches and the growth that it takes between the beginning of book two to the end of book two to where he's able to actually utilize that growth and evolution. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's kind of there's a fun part when he's playing football with a group of some of the people in the new society. And, you know, they're making a comment about him, like just being naturally like more athletic or stronger, taller, what have you. And he kind of takes that moment and he steps back. He's just like, oh huh, weird, because his whole life he's been pushed down, and then suddenly he's starting to realize that that might not be the case. And I think you're right. I mean, that all starts with you have to experience, you know, failure sometimes to make that happen. Exactly. And now, of course, there's a lot of central themes in 
this person. I think one of those characters that, you know, we have to talk about, of course, is <laughs> going to be Dominic. He was the, the villain for book one. Um, you could argue that in the beginning of the book, too, he still maintained that role, but that dynamic kind of shifted. But we're, we're not going to go too deep into that just yet. So basically, I want to ask, you know, in this book, we see Dominic's mean streak kind of curved as the story goes on to where he even becomes a shell of himself. How is a writing a character that is used to be on such a high peak pedestal, then they get knocked down to reality? And was there any joy in writing this story <laughs> arc for book two for you? Yeah, so that's a funny thing. Was there any joy in the story arc? So it, it's it's been so much fun because, you know, writing speeches and then people have come to me and it's just a big thing of how much they hate Dominic. And, you know, I've never hated Dominic because I've understood him more. And, you know, he has a very clear thought process that's honestly like the easiest for me to connect with when I'm writing. So say whatever that does about me. But, um, I mean, having it, you know, he starts in the book and he's, you know, coming from the society where his entire life, you know, he's been told like, hey, you are the epitome of what is good. We, you know, genetically engineered you so you could do all these amazing, brilliant things. And he steps away from that. And I mean, in fact, you know, when they get over there, they're calling it genetic mutilation. And so his entire self-worth is put into question. And he starts spiraling down because the life that he always envisioned and was so assured was going to happen just really isn't a possibility anymore and and so I love in dispersion that I think people are able to get a glimpse behind really who Dominic is more and one of the ways that that was able to happen is you know and it's a little it's pretty subtle in the second book but Allison you know her she refuses to view Dominic as just the horrible person that you know Jess and Elliot look at him as and it kind of stems from her just being grateful towards him that he was able to get bring Matt back even just for a little bit so she could say goodbye. So you start, you know, to see Dominic view himself differently and you start to see other people view him differently. And it, it, it was a lot of fun writing that part. Yeah. And I guess that brings up the question too. I mean, you know, stories have the evil forces, the villains. <laughs> and as an author, you kind of have to, to, I guess not even kind of, have to, but you have such a bond with these characters that you see them more than, what the you know the reader might see so how do you handle like writing these characters that people view like they they hate and they're evil when the you is just sort of like i don't want to say a, a means to me to end but you have this character made for a reason to us to get the plot moving to do these certain events like how do you view that is there a genuine hate that screws <laughs> or is it just like you know to me that's that's still my my literary baby i still had to help grow and help them manifest so that they can make the story even better than what it was yeah, so sometimes it's just really funny, and I'll just laugh. Um, other times it's it's kind of hard to keep my mouth shut because you know, hey, well they had to do this because of you know there's things that's going to happen in the third book, and the, I had to set that up so it'll make more sense then. Um, and then you know, other times it's like kind of like you said, like a little bit of my baby, so it's hard not to get too defensive of like, oh well, they're really not that horrible of a person. You just don't understand them. They're misunderstood. <laughs> Uh, it sounds like everyone I went to high school with, so I, <laughs> I, I, I get it. I get it. Um, well, I think one of the cool things, well, I say cool things, but one of the unique things was in Specious, religion wasn't really a big part of it. Yet in Dispersion, it shows up in tenfold, especially when they visit Acrosia. 
and it revolves really heavily on religious themes. Was this a departure from your norm for you to incorporate religion in the story, or is it sort of like you kind of going back to something you're comfortable with? <laughs> well, that's a fun question. So the scene when Elliot is going to his first like religious service, that's never, you know, he's never been a part of that. That was, pro- that was more stemmed from my uncomfort at a certain mass that I went to one back in the day. Um, but you know, really it, you, if you have two societies that have split off and there's been some war that happened it, you know, and one is so highly <clears throat> like science-based and views logic it. Okay. i take out the logic part. If you have a place that really highly values science and they broke off, it makes sense that the other you know group would have clung on to religion. And so I really didn't intend this book to be, uh, you know, dissing on religion or calling it inherently evil, but rather, you know, in this society, it's more about how, what tool they use religion for. And I meant it as more of kind of just a commentary on society as whole. Um, so I hope people weren't too offended. I was definitely worried about my, you know, grandparents reading that part. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like for me reading that was never offended because like you said, it's two sides to a coin and, you know, I do believe that if, you know, there was lift from running around and that the undead are walking among us like that, that you are going to get some of those groups who heavily believe. And I think it, it classified, a, you know, the, the leader. He used that to, to his advantage to make sure that everyone has something to believe in, because that is one of the ways to build that base of camaraderie. If you're all believing in the same God and worshiping the same values, you feel more connected to the people around you in your society than, of course, those who don't come through or believe the same thing, which is why I'm sure Elliot and the rest of the gang felt that that outcast even would even wouldn't be an accepted because they knew that in their hearts, like this wasn't what they fundamentally agreed with. Yeah, and I, you know, and they're definitely uncomfortable from it, which was a, you know, a fun thing to put in there, just getting them out of their comfort zone again. But I think. You know, deep down, you know, Elliot would have loved to be able to fully believe and jump on board with him because, you know, they were offering that acceptance of something that he's always wanted. And maybe before, you know, everything went down um, and he started to grow into himself, maybe if he had been exposed to that, he would have jumped on board, just happy to be accepted. But I think it was just another kind of example of him hardening a bit and, you know, seeking to grow himself in the ways that he wants to. Mm-hmm. That's true. And of course, it'd be reminiscent to not mention Jessica in the first book. She was sort of that heroine presence. She really pushed Elliot really in a way, protected him and look after him. But, you know, at the end of speech, she's in a very damaged state, you know, not just physically, but mentally. And a, the cool thing about this version is she's given a lot of time to heal and trying to find that peace amongst her demons. And oftentimes, you know, it's at Elliot's expense, you know, often cutting them off or making him feel like he's an idiot for not understanding <laughs> and even not, sometimes just not opening up. You know, what led you to write Jessica this way after she was just a prominent force in book one? Yeah, so that was really challenging to step away from, you know, Jess's character in this book. Um, one of the right after I finished writing Specious, I immediately wrote that first chapter in this version. And with her when she was in that shower and her just like 
shaking her head very slowly. Like that's something that was just so clear to me when I was writing. Um, but like she really needed to have that time to heal. Cause I didn't think it would be authentic to her character if she was immediately just okay. Um, and able to lean on Elliot and, you know, get back to how things were because, you know, that's just, that's not a feasible thing to happen. Um, and so, you know, combine that with, with when they get to the new society, there's literally like more separation between them. So they transition from spending all their time together to really only seeing each other in passing. Plus she's trying to avoid them. So there's not much stuff there, but I also thought it was important for Elliot's uh, character to not have her as a crutch anymore and have to do things on his own. I thought that was a really important for him. Yeah. And I think it definitely shows. And I, I, you know, in, in the beginning half of the book, I really do feel like she's sort of just there, but not as a prominent thing. And of course, Elliot to kind of explore and grow and have these new connections and really take some time to reflect on things. And I know um, towards the you know end of the book, after some things happen, we, we see like a little a little spark of the old Jess. But obviously, when you're dealing with this much trauma and devastation, and I'm sure there's there a lot of mental pains and things of that nature are, are are we really you know is just really over it or is it book two are we going to see some moments of you know just that darkness and just that fear crawling back into her yeah so i mean like this isn't a disney story so she's not suddenly going to be better um and you know i think once again there's a big question leading into book three like you said of is that something that she can fully recover for is there a journey done like have they reached the point that they're supposed to and it's all smooth sailing from there? Um, or, you know, is Elliot truly strong enough for Jess now? Is, you know, is he what she needs um, going forward? Can he be the person that she needs him? Uh, and so, who knows? I guess I do, but y'll, you'll have to wait. <laughs> I love that. Who knows? I mean, I do, but yeah, who knows? <laughs> No, but I think that's a very that's a very uh, good little teaser because I know for me, you know, it, it it goes with the theme of the book for there to be lasting damage, for there to be lasting impact. It's nothing like you said. It's not a Disney film where you flip a switch and everything's good. It has to be, you know, lasting impact and repercussions. So I guess that kind of ties into the, this question about Elliot. You know, obviously after what goes down late in the book, he has to uh, deal with the aftermath of getting this unexpected news, you know, there's always, you know, there's always that reality if you kind of have an idea, but when something is actually hits you and you find out what it is, it's it's a totally different experience. You know, how was it writing Elliot from a place of knowing that this is news that he was prepared to hear in the slightest? Yeah. And I mean, even though, like you said, he suspected it, I mean, as long as there's 1% hope you're wrong, people are going to cling to that just because it's easier to believe that. And so, you know, it's never really anything can ever be prepared to totally hear. Um, and I, I mean, it's, it's a interesting dynamic because, you know, outwardly, outwardly Elliot's talking to Jess and telling her, you know, things of like, of what he wants to be able to say and believe in the person that he wants to be. And then internally, he's struggling, you know, questioning if he can even be that person for. Yeah. And I mean, conflicted. yeah, I can imagine, you know, just me reading that is, is a very, very hard, um, a very, very, uh, 
unique stance he had because you know I can't say I would have been as strong <laughs> in that scenario. So it yeah. is definitely something interesting, and I I really do I really look forward to see how in in the, in the third book you know those feelings and insecurities show up because you know at the end of the day it's a big task that he signed up for. So got to see if he's willing to uh, not only talk the talk but walk the walk, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> So, of course, you know, you mentioned her earlier. She didn't have a big role in this version. Um, but we're talking about Alice since she became a new mom. I'm sure there was a lot of things that you, you wanted to do and just couldn't fit in because of the nature of the book. But, you know, what are some things you kind of wish you could explore with Alice's character in this version? So I view it more as, you know, this is a three-part series. So in this one, and for dispersion for the middle part, you know, I had to be patient with her character and the growth and the arcs that I want to do for her. Um, because, I mean, new mom, she's adjusting to that. I mean, she lost Matt. So she's, you know, just in a lot of pain and grieving. And so I had to put her on the back seat to give her character time um, to come back. Plus, Elliot's really not spending as much time with her. So you only see her what Elliot is. But there's plenty that's going to be explored in the next book. And so, you know, any disappointments of not being able to get to it in the second book, it's just more of me, you know, being impatient and being really excited to share what, uh, what I have planned for. So you'll just have to be a little bit patient with me on that. <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead and set it because, you know, obviously, um, I, as a reader, it, you, you have these ideas and I just want to, so I, 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 if you ask me, I ship Allison Elliott. I don't know oh, really? if anything to do with that. I, I ship it because I can just see, like, you know, he loves Matt so much. I think Allison is kind of like that older, older, but she knows. She's able to be in tune with, like, what people need. Because obviously when it comes to Jess, and, you know, trying to help her get over the trauma and pain, she was a very understanding person. And I feel like, I don't know, I mean, there's little jokes in the, in the books of, of, like, oh, those two together. No, not, that's not my, you know, but I don't know. I, I ship them. I don't have any any uh of course creative input in this. <laughs> Did you say theory. you're shipping Elliot and Allison or Dominic and Allison? Elliot and Allison. Ah, okay. Elliot and Allison, yeah, I'm shipping. Oh, that's. I, although I do see that I can see how the Dominic and Allison could work. It'd be it'd be a little weird, but I can see how it could happen. I had someone talk to me horrified, calling asking if I was going in that direction. <laughs> and I laughed and I was like, I'm not telling you anything. <laughs> yeah. No, it, I mean, of course, in the book, if you can see that when Dominic starts showing that little more human softer side is toward Allison and the baby. So I can see that. But I don't know. I just feel, you know, in, <laughs> in the way I view it, I could see Elliot and Allison. And I think it would be a lot of just like, you know, Matt told her to protect this child and you're protecting the child, you're protecting the family. And I could just kind of seeing that. Grill, because if you think about it, all these people, you know, Justin and all of them, they're all comfortable with each other because they've all been through the same things, and it's hard to really open up to people outside. Yeah, country. I actually edited that out. I did say, like, hey, protect my family, protect Allison by sleeping with her. That was the <laughs> other part, and I took that out to not give it away. <laughs> but no, we can call them Elliot or something. That can be their name. Are, are, so are you are you giving a confirmation, or are you just playing along? <laughs> I'm just messing with you. That is funny. <laughs> I guess we have to see in book three what, what, what's going to happen. Um, but I did find it entertaining. Okay, so um, 
obviously, there's some new characters. Acrostria mm-hmm. um, has a lot of people in there, some good, some bad, a lot really questionable. Who out of all the new characters to make their appearance was your favorite to write? Hmm. So that was a tough one. So I'm going to answer with two people. So one of them, I thought Leah was a fun change of pace, um, especially since you you have Elliot and his company, mainly Allison, you know, they're a lot more subdued. And so she was able to input more of that kind of easygoing, no filter attitude that answers, um, that was able to, and led to some interesting scenes that happened with the story. Um, and then with Jonah, he's based off someone really special that I know who I hope never reads my books. <laughs> I was able to put in direct quotes and just giggled and laughed through writing his scenes. So that was a lot of fun. Yeah, and I, 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 Leah is, you know, she's positioned as the, the, not to say the competing love interest, but in a way a competing love interest. Of course, Elliot has only got eyes for Jessica, but you can see as their dynamic changed, it was that good a relationship or that cliche relationship, I should say cliche, but that, that relationship of, you know, she has eyes for Elliot, Elliot has eyes for someone else, and he's not even really looking for that. And it's one of those things where had it been a few years ago before the outbreak, you know, Leah would have Leah would have probably had a better chance, but because the way things are now, his loyalty to Jessica, he has no eyes for her at this current time. Of course, once again, we don't know how this is all going to end. Leah's on the journey that these characters are going to be taking the book free, so that could be something that happens. But you know, definitely a cool a cool like you know character to have because she was able to have fun with Elliot and play around and kind of get him to get out of his shell a little bit, and it really was a stark difference to where you have Jessica who's just, you know, I don't want to talk to you, I don't want to be around you. Then you have Leah who just wants to always be around Elliot and always, you know, have him out to do fun things. And then, of course, the Jonah characters you mentioned, very nice. I think there's a lot more to him, and I hope that they're that show the book free because, you know, while he was nice and he, he, you know, he showed some values, I really feel like there's more story with him. And it'd be interesting to see in book free how you're able to pull that out. I like the how and not the if. <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. If, if the death toll's really coming, you, you never know. Um, I, I, I was hoping because someone special to you that meant that they had they get like a little shield or something. But then again, the author knows what best. So. <laughs> oh, and when I said real special, I meant that sarcastically. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> you see, this is why you get the little asterisk, so now you can see at the bottom like what they mean. So that that's cool. You can <laughs> yeah. clear that up. Um, <laughs> so what's been your what was your favorite moment during dispersion mm, so I mean, kind of like I touched on earlier the whole time I understood Dominic but in the first book I think he almost comes off like a little too evil because if you don't understand like why he's doing what he's doing he just seems like this total dick um, and then so at the beginning of the second book him and Elliot are walking and Dominic's lecturing him and kind of defending himself a little bit about like, hey, you know, you, you can't view things just, you know, black and white or gray. You know, and he was having that talk of like, hey, if you are happy that Matt is back here with us and you have to understand that that was a result because, you know, I killed your childhood friends. I've done all these experiments and I did all this stuff that you would say is bad. But look at the good it results did too. like the world needs people 
like me who can make those decisions that are hard but necessary. And that was the first time that I think I was able to really explicitly share with the readers, you know, this is how he thinks and this is how he views the world. So I think that goes a long way in helping people understand him and his viewpoint. Um, and then also that final mess hall scene, that was, that was a pretty clear scene for me to write. And it was the second scene that I wrote when I started writing the second book. So a long ways coming and I'm happy that people finally got to read that and see the reveal. <laughs> exactly. And I think that's what the, one of the biggest things going into the book for you is, is how this is all going to end because you have such a story that you're making and building. Uh, of course, one of the big aspects of book one, the lift room, they don't have a strong presence in this book. While, of course, in species, they were essential. It was, it was the main thing. Did you find writing expression easier in that regard, knowing that you don't have to worry about the lift rooms too much? Uh, well, it actually might have been, if anything, a little bit harder because in the first book, I relied on them pretty heavily to be, you know, kind of like the catalyst to get the next thing going um, and to keep pushing people forward. But, you know, this series, I never intended it just to be about those creatures. You know, it was always, you know, just the catalyst to tear down the society, force the change, and then to write about the aftermath. So, you know, for the third book, they are going to be a heavier presence again since they're returning back to the territories. And it was kind of, they had a bit of a false calm, which gave me time to develop some characters. And then the third book will be uh, more fast paced again. Yes. And now, you know, what 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 to live from and then of course, you know, going to the bigger picture, the the zombies and the undead universe and all that. Do you feel like for you and I know you can't spoil book free, so I gotta ask just like a general thing. Do you feel like there's an end game to all of this or is it just gonna be this is our world now and we live into it? I know you like say so you can't spoil how book free is gonna go, but that, that's a personal preference. In that situation, do you feel like there's ever going to be an endgame or is it just like the world is, this is what the world is? Okay. So I can't wait for everybody to read the last line in the series. Um, that's going to be so fun when people can actually do that. But it, you know, in the first book and in the second book, they start to theorize like, hey, you know, these creatures, they're decomposing more and more. Are they ever just going to cease to exist? And that's the theory that they're on, but I can't really say what's going to happen. <laughs> but I think more importantly, for sure, what a lasting impact is, is the society that they're going to choose to rebuild and the values that they're going to have to place on that. And so no matter what, it's a lasting impact. It just kind of depends on how direct it'll stay. I just wanted to be noted I tried, people. <laughs> try to get a little something, you know, try to try to do something. But Robin, being such an expert at sidestepping, she uh, <laughs> saw it coming and wasn't phased. So just let it be noted that I did try. I broke a uh, <laughs> You broke your spirit? <laughs> no, my, I, broke, I broke a sweat sidestepping. There you go. That, see, that, that counts for something. A sweat yeah, appeared. So. <laughs> oh, man. Um. I guess the main thing we want to ask is, you know, there was there was a wait from book one to book two. <laughs> We're not going to get into the details of that because, you know, I'm sure there's, there's, there's a reason why it happened. But in your in your opinion, and I mean, I'm only saying this because it's just your book and you're the author. But <laughs> do you feel like the wait between book two and book book three will be shorter than book one and two? Oh, 
I have no idea. Um, I'll be honest. I mean, I could say like, Hey, by this date, I'll, I'll plan on having it out there. But I mean, realistically, apparently that's just not how it works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, I will say I've, I have the first draft down and there's a lot of work that needs to be done right now. What I'm trying to decide between is do I focus all my energy on getting book three out there and finishing the series or there's a completely new book that I want to write. And I started very initial stages of it, um, which is, it's totally different. It's going to be so dark. I'm so excited about it, but dark do I take something <laughs> totally different or do I stick with that? So I'm, I'm just, I'm pondering right now. Okay. Okay. All right. You heard that folks. Darker, darker than the speeches series. So. Oh, it will make speeches seem like a Disney movie. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm just expecting the opening scene to be someone's intestines being eaten as they're trying to put them back in. But Ooh. well, uh, okay, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Look at me right. spoiling books when I'm like two thousand words in. <laughs> oh yeah, I I hear you, I hear you. Okay, so you know, more of a fun question. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it's all said and done, this the third book comes out and the speed of series is complete. What would you prefer, TV series or a movie? <laughs> Um, I'll take HBO picking it up. <laughs> that's, a, that's a TV series, okay? I'm yeah, sure. but not just any TV series. Like I don't want um, I don't know what's a bad station. Uh, like, um, I don't know. Um, apparently, I need to watch more TV. Yeah, I'll accept HBO or Hulu. <laughs> okay, would you want there to be seasons, or would you want it to be like a limited run? Like here you go, this is it. Enjoy. Let's just go full on Game of Thrones. We can get Game eight seasons. Uh, can your book last eight seasons of the show? Like, is there enough? Did you see what they did to The Hobbit? You can make anything happen if you believe. <laughs> All right. Well, you know what? I'm not going to mess up your royalties by saying otherwise. So sure, go ahead. <laughs> we'll, we'll say Game of Thrones style. That 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 works. Uh, let's see. Including the dragons. Including oh, so dragons will make their way to um, species. Yeah, book free spoiler. <laughs> book free spoilers. Okay, all right. Well, you know what? You, you're getting a lot. You're getting a lot by tuning in. Um, at the end of book two, was there even more resounded in end of book one? A character who really just, if you had to say, not to say your favorite, but just really resonated with you. Did that change, or is it still the same person? that you found in book one that really represented you? Like I said, I don't know what this says about me, but I really like, feel like I resonate with Dominic. Not that I go around doing horrible things, but just like his thought process and kind of how he gets where that's just so easy for me to write in. Um, and I've, I've also really liked Jess and she's been a fun one. Um, I've had, I have the hardest time connecting with Elliot, which Maybe next time, don't write a series with a main character that I struggle connecting with. Lesson learned. <laughs> well, I think that's definitely a way. I've never heard of a... It doesn't unique that an author has uh, trouble connecting with the main character, especially in this version. Like, Elliot hits 95% of screen time or book yeah. time, whatever you want to say. He's an emotional guy. You know, it's not your key. You don't like emotional? Okay. You could, you, could, you could argue, like, you know... Towards the end, Dominic was getting a little bit emotional. Yeah, and it's that's what makes it fun is you have, you know, 
as much as you might hate to see it or recognize it, like you have Elliot, I think he starts to under he starts to kind of transition into more of you know some of Dominic's characteristics and then vice versa. And so I think that gets both of them to start to understand each other a bit more. Okay. But I think they both hate that. <laughs> <laughs> is anyone safe? Like, is there anyone who is safe in this universe? Uh, well, I'd have to change point of views if I killed Dominic. I mean, if I killed Dominic. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. I mean, you, you've done the verses a little bit already with the whole, you know, you came out with the, with the blood gates open, you bought a character back from the undead. What's the little point of view perspective change? Really? Yeah. Be a good writing exercise. <laughs> Outside of that, I'm guessing nobody's safe. Nobody's off limits. Everybody can get the business. Well, the dog is safe. I love how the dog's above the baby. The baby, yeah. <laughs> the baby is apparently, you, you don't know, but the dog, good, good selling. All right. I mean, yeah. yeah. I'll give okay. you that. The dog is safe. The dog is safe, everybody. So Even from yeah. old age, invincible. I, I just, I guess she's riding the dog's life and it's going to end well. So like a true offer, just letting you know that there's always more in the bag of tricks. Well, Robin, it's been such an amazing experience. I feel like we really did a deep dive in this version. Um, if you haven't done so already, please go out and buy the book. Leave a review. I'm slacking. I need to leave her review. She's probably going to say it to me off air. I'll own up to it before she can say anything. That way I can kind of counter that fact, do a little side step of my own. But trust me, I have a review in the works. I loved it. I devoured it. Literally, as soon as I got to reading it, I was staying up every night just trying to push through. And when I finished it, it was like, oh, my gosh, where did the time go? But, yes, it's available on Amazon right now. For the lovely price of two ninety nine, I mean, you, you know, you can. The price should not be a hurdle. It's it's great entertainment. It's definitely a great universe he's building. Um, I can give more plugs for Dave, but Rob is just a great human being, and so proud of her to be on, not only Educate Us as our first guest, but be on this hustle corner and just display that dynamic interaction that we're used to having, and of course, giving you some great leeway clips on her book this version and if you remember the first episode this is a definitely a, a very interesting one because she's now coming back here the wine is not here or if it <laughs> is it's being hidden well so but she still delivered compelling content and before we we we, we do leave i, I want to give robin the chance to you know not only say just her last final dots but also of course plug where they can connect with you and how they can get your book yeah so first of all thank you so much for having me back you know, as I these last couple of years, as I've been seeing y'all continue to be successful and put new content out there, I've been very proud of you too. So this is fun that we're at this stage again. But I mean, in terms of social media, um, my name is Robin Burke Stresser. You can Google me. It's pretty easy to find me. Uh, you can connect with me on Facebook, Twitter at Robin Burks or on LinkedIn even. But I mean, really my last plug is I just I'm I'm very grateful for everybody who has supported me and then who reads the story and then comes to me and tells me, you know, what they thought. Uh, it's, it's very humbling when, you know, this world that I created and I poured so much of myself into when other people experience like emotions while reading it and get connected to it. So thank you everybody who's ever either supported me or if you support another author or even, you know, just any other creative works. It takes a lot to get that out there. So keep doing that. 
Exactly. And Robin, like I said, you know, I could I could go on for days for all the accolades and praise I would love to give you. But it's been a pleasure. You know, we, we got to find some way for when the third one that comes out to get you back in there because, you know, a deep dive is going to be needed. You know, I'm sure I'll, I'll be sure to have my tissues packed. Comparing <laughs> to you, you've been you've been you've been teasing for the past two years that the, the third one's going to really make you get into your feels. So got to get ready for that interview, of course, <laughs> and then we'll be able to go with no, no, you know, no holes barred because the speech series will be over with and you'll be able to really go into everything you're thinking and what you want to do. Yeah. And if you're too impatient, see what happens. You could just start a fan fiction and write your own stuff and send it. To- <laughs> No, I will not let you Allison. profit off my Elliot and Allison's idea. I won't yep. let you do it. I won't <laughs> let you do it. Just give me permission to use the characters in a spinoff what if book, and I got you. Till then, yep. no. <laughs> <laughs> On that note.